Turn with me, please, in the scriptures to Matthew, the uh, eighth chapter. For some weeks now, we've been on a topic, a subject that we're calling the greatest faith. The greatest faith. Matthew 8, verse 5. There are two instances in uh, the account of Jesus' ministry where he referred to people that they had the greatest faith he had seen. And uh, it's the centurion and also the Canaanite or the Syrophoenician woman. Uh, Both of which were people you might not expect to have great faith or the greatest faith. One, a Roman soldier, tough guy, God had been in a lot of rough situations. The Romans were not known for being leadership, for being godly. And then the Syrophoenician woman, it was specifically said that she was Canaanite. And um, if you read, we have a lot of uh, information about how the Canaanites lived. And it's not good. Not moral at all. But in both of these cases, somehow... They were able to have faith that absolutely impressed Jesus. Well, if they can have great faith, you can have great faith. And with great faith, you can get great results. You can please God greatly and have great victories in this life. In Matthew 8 and 5, when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came to him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. You know, he still says that. He never, ever changes. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. One thing we saw about the greatest faith is that it does not think of itself as entitled. It does not imagine that somebody owes it something. You can't separate great faith from great humility. The Lord owes us nothing because of who we are personally. But he's given us everything because of who Jesus is. And what he's done for us in our stead and in our place. But one of the worst things that could happen to you is for you to get to thinking people owe you everything. Or get to thinking that because you've been a good person or you go to church a lot or you've given in offerings that God owes you a healing or God owes you some kind of protection or something. This is absolutely untrue. Everything he has given us is a free grace gift. Undeserved, unmerited, unearned. You can have it, you can enjoy it, but don't think you deserve it. Did I lose somebody? Very important. See, that's what this man said. You also see that with the Syrophoenician woman. They both understood this. He said, I'm a man under authority. I got soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, and he goes. To another come and he comes. To my servant do this and he does it. Unquestioned, immediate obedience. 
Everybody say it out loud. Unquestioned, immediate obedience. Now, is this a just coincidence that that was part of him being having great faith? Of all the things that could have been recorded, this is brought out in detail. So this humility, this not thinking that you've earned it or deserved it, and this readiness to unquestioningly and immediately obey, these are all characteristics of the greatest faith. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. He said to them that followed, verily I say to you, I have not found so great faith not in Israel. I say to you, many will come from the east and west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Other accounts said, and many that are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is continuing to talk about what I just mentioned earlier, how that so many times you don't find great faith where you should, where you think you would, among church-going people, among those that have grew up in a Christian home, those that have had access to all kind of word, and oftentimes you will find great faith among people you wouldn't think so, that grew up rough and hadn't had the opportunities. Doesn't have to be that way, but you'll see it that way. And he said, uh, Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so be it done to you. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Does the Lord still do things like this today? Yes. If you'll have faith like this, right? No? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll make sure we're on the same page here. Go with me to Mark, the 10th chapter. And let's look at another situation that happened in Jesus' ministry that goes right along with this. The greatest faith could also be called the greatest trust. Trust is another word for describing the same thing. Faith, trust, also the word confidence. You know, in the definition of faith in Hebrews 11, it says, now faith is the substance. Other translations say uh, confidence of things hoped for or expected. The evidence, it's the, the conviction of the reality of things not seen. Confidence and trust are similar words for the idea of faith. And you see in uh, Mark 10, a man who uh, struggled with this and actually failed the trust test. So this is a contrast. We see the centurion had such great faith. You're about to see a man here who in contrast had none. Even though he had an even greater opportunity than the centurion. The centurion had an opportunity for his servant to be healed, and he got that. But in Mark 10, verse 21, well, let's see, I'm, I'm moving too quick. Back up a little bit. Verse 17, 
When Jesus was, was gone forth to the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor your father and mother. And he, the young man, answered and said, Master, all these I've observed from my youth. And um, Jesus, beholding him, loved him. There was a lot to like about this young man. And he was a good young man. And that's what he's got on his mind, is about being good. But the Lord had something else on his mind, other than him being good. He beheld him and loved him. He looked at him. By the Spirit, he knows things about him. He knows he's telling the truth when he says, I've kept all these commandments from my youth. He loved him. And what, uh, what this young man's asking, and this is also in Matthew, what is it, chapter 19, I believe it is. It's also in Luke, three different accounts of the same happening. And uh, he said, what do I lack? The young man asked Jesus, what do I lack? And uh, Jesus said, if, if you'll be perfect, if you want to, uh, that word perfect means complete. If you want to go all the way. Here's what you lack. So he's a good young man. But he's the one who came to Jesus. And said what can I do? He said well. If you want to go all the way. Here's what you do. You sell whatever you have. Liquidate. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And come take up your cross and follow me. This is an invitation. To join the, the 12 and the 70. Mm-hmm. Travel with Jesus. Be on his crusade team. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? About an opportunity here. This, this is an opportunity. And verse 22. He was sad. At that saying. And went away grieved. For he had great possessions. He had a lot of money and had a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And he went away sad. Everybody say sad. Sad Sad reveals what's going on in the heart. What's he sad about? Whether his head realizes it or not, he just missed the greatest opportunity of his life over some money. And stuff. The Lord didn't ask him to take a vow of poverty and never have anything in his life. Some people have tried to make it into that. Here's some preachers talking about, you know, they try to make this into that if you give enough to the poor, that's how you get into heaven. Oh, no. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't. 
buy you in to salvation. Or they try to make it that, you know, the, the Lord is so displeased if you have any money or any stuff, and he wants you to absolutely get rid of it. Well, if everybody, believers, did that and got rid of everything, you and I'd be meeting on the side of the road. And what would we be wearing? Right? Sure wouldn't be on TV. <laughs> or the internet. No. By contrast, look at this. Go with me over to Matthew 27 real quick. 2757. It's a story of uh, after Jesus went to the cross and his body was dead, when even was come, there came a rich man. Everybody say rich man. Rich of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. So he heard Jesus teaching and preaching, but somehow he didn't get out of Jesus' preaching that he was supposed to be poor. Even after being a disciple of Jesus and a follower of Jesus for these three plus years, he still got a bunch of money. He's still rich. I mean, if the Bible calls you rich, you're rich. But isn't it good that he was? Because if he had given everything away and had nothing, he would not have been in position to do this for the Lord when he needed it. Verse 58, he went to Pilate, begged the body of Jesus. Now, how many understand, probably couldn't just anybody get to Pilate. Why'd he get in? Somebody wants to see you, Pilate. Who? Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea. Oh, oh, bring him in. Huh? In this world, money's influence. And he asked him, begged for the body of Jesus. Now you know how mean the devil is. He would have liked to abuse Jesus' body. Done something damaging or abusive to it. And Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. So here now, one of Jesus' own disciples has control of the situation. And money is a big part of this. How he even got in there and what he's going to do next. Verse 59 when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. He bought the best linen you could get. They took care of Jesus' body. He wrapped it up, verse 60, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. He didn't own a spot in the cemetery. He had a custom-built mausoleum, a stone structure. This cost money. Have you priced any of these lately? <laughs> We're talking serious money here. I mean, you know, just to get you a nice plot in the cemetery is some money. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a nice structure that's built just for you out of stone. And uh, he, he, he put him in there and they rolled the great stone. What am I saying? The Lord's not opposed to you having any money or any things. That's not the issue. We'll see a little bit later what the issue is. Uh, in, in Luke 19, if you turn over there, Luke 19 too. You know, how does me being broke help you? How does all of us being broke 
help the preaching of the gospel. It doesn't. It doesn't work. You'll hear people that, that mock and say negative things against anybody that suggests that God would bless you materially. Oh, I, there are people come come out, you know, they're death on it. I've received a lot of ugly grams over the years. But then these same preachers will turn around in a few minutes and ask for an offering. Because we need money to do the work of the Lord. Well, yeah. You're not supposed to have anything, but you're supposed to give. Doesn't work. Can't give what you don't have. And you can't be a blessing like he was if you don't have the ability. Money by itself is neither good nor bad. It's what you do with it. If you're evil and you have a little money, you can do a little evil. You have a lot of money, you can do a lot of evil. Right? It just enhances your ability to be and do what you want to be and do. But you can do a lot of good things with money. You can. In Luke 19, verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was the chief among the publicans. Now, the publicans were the tax collectors, and they were hated. Oh, they were hated. You know, a lot of folks are not too fond of even our IRS today. But <laughs> these guys took it to another level now. They, uh, whatever they said you owed, is what you owed. And it didn't make any difference if it was true or not. And crooks, a lot of these guys wanted this position because you could absolutely get rich. You just double what Rome said they owed and you pocket the excess. And you can see why they're hated. Because if you owe $20,000, then uh, the publican, the tax collector would say, no, you owe 35. He said, no, no. He said, yeah. And the soldiers would look at you. And you go, right, 35. <laughs> but then he would pocket the extra. He'd pay Rome what you owed, and he'd pocket. So they were hated. And he was chief <laughs> among the publicans, so he was really hated. And he was rich. <laughs> yeah, he was rich. <laughs> and verse 3 he sought to see Jesus, who he was. He couldn't for the press, and because he was little of stature, he wasn't very tall. Verse 4, he ran before, got ahead of him, climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And all our kids know this song, don't they? <laughs> Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for today I've got to stay at your house. And uh, verse 6, he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Everybody say joyfully. joyfully. Now one of the reasons I want you to see this is because of the contrast. The rich young ruler went away sad. Here's another rich man who's glad. He's joyful. Why is he so excited? That Jesus is coming to his house. I'm sure one reason is he never imagined Jesus would come to his house. Because he's not a high priest. He's not a scribe. He's, he's not a, a doctor of the law. He's not what you'd imagine as a, a moral and a, a religious man. He's hated by the common people. And so the fact that Jesus would say publicly in front of everybody. 
I'm going to your house today. Oh man, he scrambled down. He he hardly contained himself. He's running to the house. <laughs> Joy, everybody say joyfully, joyfully, joyfully. And verse 7, when they saw it, they all murmured. They said, he's gone to be a guest with the man that's a sinner. Can't believe he's going to Zacchaeus' house. Does he not know what a crook that guy is? Does he not know what he did to me? What he did to my auntie and what he did to my, to my grandpa. Oh, he's a sorry so-and-so. And Jesus is gone to be, stay at his house. Why did he come to my house? You know, because I'm a good person. That's why. He didn't go to your house because you think you deserve it. See, we're right back there. Verse 8. <laughs> so here Jesus is. And how many think Zacchaeus has pulled out the good dishes? And I mean, he, he's rich. So man, he's got, the, he's got the best roast. He's got the best biscuits. He's got everything. You know, he's got the, you know, grandma's potato salad. He, he's putting it on. And uh, then he stands up and says, Lord, the half of my goods I am giving to the poor. The Lord didn't ask him to do that. Why is he doing that? He is so happy that Jesus knows who he is and would come to his house. And Jesus said, oh no, oh no, Zacchaeus, all. You must give it all. Just like I told that rich young ruler, you know, a while back. You've got to do it all. No. Half. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusation, and all the people around said, that's right. right. <laughs> he said, I'm going to restore him four, four times what I took from him. And then everybody changed. They said, what? Yeah. Don't forget me. You know what you did to me? Four times. <laughs> so your 10,000 that you just got robbed has turned into 40 grand. Yeah. And so everybody's happy now. Yeah. I restore him fourfold. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, he didn't say, no, you've got to give it all. He said, today salvation's come to this house. For as much as he's a son of Abraham, say it out loud, it's about, it's about the, heart, the heart, not the money. Not the money. It's not about the, the money. It's never about the money. It's about the heart. The heart. Go back then to uh, Mark 10. Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at the rich young ruler. He loved him. He said, one thing you lack. Well, that's not bad, is it? One thing. Of course, it was a big thing to him. But Go your way. Say what you have. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad. He's not rejoicing. He's sad at that saying. And he went away grieved for he had great possessions. Now, I know I've said it, but it bears repetition. Sadness and grief reveals unbelief yes. and disobedience. Whereas joy 
and gladness and thankfulness reveals faith, a faith that follows him. The Lord gave me this phrase some years ago, doubt despairs, complains, and is sad. Faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. We'll see that in numerous verses. You'll see that over in Romans 15 and different places. I want to say it again. Doubt does what? Despairs. So if you're despairing, you're not believing. Doubt despairs. What else does it do? Complains. Complains. Don't say you're in faith and you're complaining about it all the time. You're not. And is what? Sad. 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 One of the worst witnesses is a sad Christian. It's a contradiction in terminology. Christian is a Christian. Christ means anointed. And he was anointed with the oil of gladness and joy, right? Above everybody around him. And if you're one of them, then you're that shouting bunch. You're the praising bunch. You're the believing bunch. you the obeying God bunch. The glad bunch. Faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad, glad, glad. Don't you let yourself slump into depression and grief and sadness. You never have to do this. No matter how bad it is, you can look up and trust God. And if you do, it'll change your countenance. It'll change the way you talk. It'll change the way you are responding and reacting. Acting and reacting. Jesus, verse 23, looked round about and said to his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And verse 24, And the disciples were astonished at his words. They said, What? (laughs) Why? Because all of them thought being blessed and being rich goes together. Abraham was rich. Right? They're all seed of Abraham. And, and rich should be an indication of God's blessing. It can be. It's not always. We don't know how you got it. Right? I mean, you can lie and still get it. We, we don't know. You can add it to yourself. Or God can add it to you. His way. So it's not just the presence of the stuff that tells you. And he said... Uh, He went on to say, Jesus answered again. He expounds on what he meant by that. He said, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It's not the money. It's the heart. Didn't the Lord also say, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. The Lord didn't ask this man to take a vow of poverty and never have anything. What he asked him to do was trust him and follow him. And the man choked and refused to obey because of refusal to trust. Can you see this, friends? Now, we haven't digressed. The centurion said, I say to my servant, do this, he does it. I'm a man under authority. I follow orders. People under me follow orders. It takes a certain amount of trust to do that, especially when you don't understand. 
Incomplete submission reveals incomplete trust. A refusal to obey is a failure to trust. And that's what he ran into. And you can see why the Lord put his finger on his money. Wasn't that he's opposed to money or things. He knew by the Spirit that this young man has all his faith and trust in his stuff. This is what helps him sleep at night. Is that he's got a lot of money. This is what makes him feel secure. This is what makes him feel good about his future. And the Lord didn't ask him to take a vow of poverty. He asked him to trust him. And do what he told him to do. And then come follow him. Could this young man have done this? How would he have come out? How would he have come out? If he had done this, would he have been broke the rest of his life? Would he have been miserable? Well, now, for one thing, how long has it been since that young man has left this earth? And his little stuff of no consequence for centuries and centuries now. Do you reckon he feels like he made the right choice? (laughs) No. But we don't have to conjecture. We don't have to wonder about how he would have come out. Because the Bible tells us how he would have come out. There are scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture that says what would have happened to him. Do you want to hear some of them? What would have happened to him? Go with me to the book of Psalms. If you've got time to turn to him, you can. Otherwise, they'll put them on the screen for us. What would have happened to him? Psalm 34, 8, tells you what would have happened to him. What was the young man's failure? Help me out. Trust. Great faith is great trust. A failure to submit and obey is a failure to trust. And it's evidenced by grief and sadness. And this is the case. Well, I'm trying to get ahead of myself now. Verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. What about the man that trusts in him? Blessed. Blessed. Broke? (laughs) Is broke the same as blessed? No. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Verse 9, Oh, fear The Lord, you his saints, for there is no want. Everybody say no want. No want. To them that fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. If he had followed the Lord, what would have happened? He wouldn't have wanted any good thing. Verse 22. The Lord redeems the soul of his servant. None that trust in him shall be desolate. No way he would have wound up desolate. By doing what the Lord told him to do. Psalm 36. Verse 7 and 8. How excellent is your loving kindness. O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust. Under the shadow of your wings. They shall be. Abundantly. Satisfied. With the fatness of your house. You'll make them drink of the river of pleasure. Who gets that? People that trust him. Obey. What would have happened with this young man? The Lord told him. If you just read the next few verses. But he's already gone. He didn't even hear this. 
He, he's grieving at his house. In his big fine house. Sitting in his expensive chair. Depressed. Sad. And that's when, uh, when Peter looked at him and said, well, Lord, we left everything. What do we get? That's what he said. Have you read it? We left everything. What do we get? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, boy. Nobody that leaves houses, lands, family, people, things for my sake and the gospels, except they're going to get a hundredfold. Now, in this time, Luke says in this present time, Mark says now in this time, and in the life to come, eternal life. Woo! We don't have to theorize, wonder what would have happened to this young man. Let's say he was a billionaire. The Bible said he had a lot, a lot of stuff. What would have happened? He would not have been desolate. The Bible says he wouldn't. He wouldn't have been left without. He wouldn't have been broke. He would have been sowing. When you sow, it comes back multiplied. And what he didn't reap in this life, he'd be rewarded for in the next life. Right? He would not have gone wrong. He would not have suffered any permanent loss of any good thing. He'd temporarily not been the rich man that he's always been. Who would it have been? He'd have had to find his identity in something other than his money. He would have shifted his trust out of things and money into God. Hallelujah. His identity would have been in who he is with Christ and in God. And that's something that would still be with him to this day. Nobody can take that away from you. Oh, somebody say glory to God. It wasn't about money. It's about trust. And don't think, well, yeah, that's what he did with him. You know, that doesn't apply to me. It absolutely applies to you. That's just some rain. It applies to you. Uh, Phyllis and I, in our life, just every so often, the Lord will deal with you, sow this. Yeah, but that's your big thing. Right? Sow this. Let this go. Do this. And oh, every time you do, my, my, my. <laughs> I had a friend of mine ask me just the other day. He said, uh, I was thinking about you. And he knows something about where we came from and some things we left to go and follow the Lord. He said, I thought about you and, and what the Lord said about that hundredfold. He said, have you ever counted up and seen what you've already reaped of things that you left? I said, we passed hundredfold a long time ago. <laughs> People come too late to tell me, oh, I don't believe in all that, that hundredfold. Well, you won't be bothered with it. We passed that a long time ago. And Phyllis and I have talked about it. What if we had held on to our little stuff and our little security blank, which was pitiful, and would have missed everything that he's done for us in these past almost 40 years now? What a fool. I would have been. And and the bad thing about it, you wouldn't have known what you missed. You'd just known you're unhappy. You'd just known you're sad. And you gripe a lot. And complain. 
You don't know why things are not better. So many are so sad because they won't obey God. You don't know the things the Lord has told them. A lot of times they won't tell you. They try to hide it. But he told them to do things and they won't do it. And the reason they won't do it is a lack of trust. It boils right down to that. People don't like it this, this cut and dried. But what happened with this rich young ruler? He trusted money more than he trusted the Lord. That's what it came down to. And the Lord wasn't trying to take anything away from him. He wasn't trying to hurt him. He's trying to bring him into some things he never dreamed he could be a part of. He's trying to launch him into a whole other realm. Do you believe this, saints? Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Psalm 37, 3 and 5. How about I give you some more of these? Because you are those that trust God. So these are your verses. You're not going to go away sad. You're going to trust God and get this. Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. What will happen? You'll dwell in the land and verily you're going to eat. You're not going to starve. Say it out loud. I trust God. I will eat. Keep reading. He said, delight yourself in the Lord and what will happen? He'll give you the desires of your What would have happened for this rich young ruler? He'd have never been desolate. He had always eaten. The Lord took care of him. The Lord would have given him the desires of his heart. And most of the desires of your heart cannot be bought with money. The big stuff, you can't buy with a trillion dollars. Money cannot buy the big thing. Money can't buy health. Money can't buy peace. Can't buy joy. Can't buy love. Can't buy great relationships with your family. Can't buy contentment. Peace that passes understanding. Hallelujah. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. Somebody say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Trust in Him. What will happen? He'll bring it to pass. What? The desires of your heart. Was what he just got through talking about. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Proverbs 29, 25. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, a trap. But whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. What would happen to the rich young ruler? Because he's thinking, you know, I, I got my money. So I got my wall around my house and I got my security team and I got my, you know, my armored chariot or whatever it is. And so, you know, I'm safe. No, unless the Lord keeps you, you know, the security guy wakes up in vain. That's a paraphrase, but you can do everything you know to do. And without the Lord helping you, it's not enough. There's always a way something could happen. But you put your trust in the Lord, you're going to be safe. I'm not going to be desolate. I'm going to prosper and be blessed. God will give me the desires of my heart. I'm going to eat. And I'm going to be safe. Somebody say, what a deal. What a deal. Why wouldn't you go this way? <laughs> Proverbs 28. 28 and 25. 28, 25. 
He that's of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he that puts his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Now, in the scripture, fat's a good thing. (laughs) He didn't say obese. There's different kinds of fat. He's talking about fat wallet. Some things you want fat. Fat accounts. In the Amplified, it says it like this. He who puts his trust in the Lord shall be enriched and blessed. Hallelujah. That's what would have happened to the rich young ruler had he trusted the Lord and just done what he said. If he'd have done what Zacchaeus, who was a hated publican, had done and just got happy. Right? Just got happy. Why? It would have been great faith if when Jesus looked at this young man and loved him, smiled at him, and said, you want to go all the way? I like that. Okay. Liquidate. Liquidate. Sell everything you got. Help people. Give to the poor. And then you come and you join me. And you follow me. Could he have responded differently than what we have record of? Could he have said, would you follow you? Woo! Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Now, I got a lot of stuff. It may take me a little while to get it all. You know, no. He's, yes, would you? I'm going to say, would you? That would have shown he trusted him. And he trusted the Father. Whom Jesus said he only said what he heard the father say. That would have proved that he's not concerned. He's not afraid that he's going to lose everything. Lose his identity. Lose his security. Lose his good life. But he's actually stepping up. But that's based on something you don't see. And you don't feel. It takes faith to turn loose of what you see. And go after what you don't see. But that's how you get the great miracles. That's how you get the great promotions. Hallelujah. And you get into things that are not only benefits in this life, but things that advance your place in the kingdom of God in the future. Hallelujah. The Lord told accounts that translated into people being over five cities and people being over ten cities. This is descriptive of the coming kingdom of God. And the people who are, it's not going to be socialistic or communistic, that we all get the same thing. No, the Bible said we're going to differ like the stars differ in glory. And those that trust him more and follow him fully are going to have a greater place. And they're going to have a greater honor. They're going to be over more. And those that refuse to trust him didn't say they'd automatically be lost. I mean, if you won't trust him at all, well, you'll be lost. But some people only trust him with their eternal security. But they won't trust him with stuff in this life. Mm -hmm. I think some people, when it comes to money, when they get baptized, if they'd be honest, when they go down, they'd hold their wallet out. (laughs) Because they are not consecrating that part of their life. They're going to run that. They're going to hold on to that. (laughs) But whatever part of your life you won't trust him with, you've got 
and you ain't enough. You're not enough to have what he wants you to have. And in order, one of the greatest ways to show trust concerning things is that you'll turn it loose. Yes. You'll turn it loose. You'll give it. And God will ask you for your Isaac. Greatest thing in your life. He'll ask you for your Isaac. And if you're smart, you won't get sad and you won't leave. What will you do? You'll gladly, joyfully say, yes, Lord. Here we go. Here we go. Thank you, Lord. I know when uh, Phyllis and I had been in, we had left home and friends and family and everything we had and moved out to Oklahoma and went to Bible school there. And, and when I say started from scratch, I mean we're believing for every tank of gas and every uh, pair of socks. And there were times, you know, I skipped lunch not because I was trying to be spiritual. It was just a choice between gas money and, and lunch. And uh, over the course of 20 years there, we went from rough little apartment in the worst part of town to a better apartment, to a better apartment, to a rent house, to a house, to a dream house. And God did it for us. And we had, uh, we had just gotten in this dream house Somebody gave Phyllis the money to redo her entire kitchen. She just put all the new stainless stuff and just got it done. We had a, a hangar at the airport. We had a little airplane. We were traveling. We were happy. And the Lord dealt with us, leave it all and go to Branson. We didn't know anybody in Branson. And, you know, the airport that was here was uh, 3,700 feet with a cliff on both ends and and yeah, it just wasn't conducive to what we were wanting to do and, and, uh, and why. And uh, after a few weeks of this, and one day I was getting ready, looking in the mirror, shaving, and, and, the, and the Spirit of God prompted me. The Lord said to me, Key, do you believe I can do for you better than this? I laid the razor down. I said, yes, sir, I do. And I'm done wavering. Here we go. <laughs> so we put everything up for sale, and man, it sold so quick. And we, we put everything into the, the ministry, and we, we came here and rented a little house that the water didn't work very good in, and, and basically feel like you're starting over from scratch. But just two weeks here, no congregation, no anything, but the Lord said to me, he said, I'm going to give you the best of Branson." Well, you couldn't see it. He said, I'm giving you the best to Branson. Years later, he's done it. They built us a brand new airport over here with private money. We got 72 acres here on the strip. Paid for it. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. He gave us a better house. He gave us a better everything. And that's what was going on here. He's looking at this rich young ruler. He's got all this money, but he's basically saying, you think I can do for you better than where you are? Come on. Follow me. Turn loose of it and follow me. And old friend, if you will, you'll get into the big stuff. You'll get into the miracles. But every so often, here it'll come again. The Lord will say, you want to come? You want to go all the way? You want to go all the way? All right. Sow this. Do this. 
Obey this, and your flesh will go, yeah, but I like that. Yeah, yeah, but I'm comfortable. Yeah, but, well, do you want to go all the way or not? You know, that's how it works. In Proverbs 31, I'm thinking about closing. At least I'm thinking about it. Proverbs 31, 19. Proverbs 31, 19 says, oh, let's see, that's, that's not what I'm looking for. Is it Psalms? Yeah, Psalms. Well, it's a lot of difference between Psalms and Proverbs, isn't it? What are y'all laughing about? Psalm 31, 19. Oh, yeah, that's better. How great is your goodness, which you have laid up for them that fear you, which you have worked for them that trust in you before the sons of men. What God has for those that are willing to turn loose of their security and trust him. It's described as how great. Jesus looked at the man's, the centurion's faith and said, I hadn't seen faith so great. But faith so great and trust so great as to completely obey, unquestionably, and fully obey. What's the other side of that? How great is the goodness which you have laid up for them that trust you. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.